Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Anything happening over the weekend that you want to comment on, feel free to call us. You can adapt to 0862 103 103. Pouring over the papers this morning and they are full of what is expected to be in tomorrow's budget. And as we know, and we've seen this over the last number of years, generally speaking, by the time we get to budget day, there's no real surprises anymore in the in the budget. Everything has been leaked out uh, well in advance. And there's a lot of things going to be covered in tomorrow's uh, budget. For any parents listening with young children, they're talking about free GP care for children up to the age of uh, seven. Ministers believe that reduced COVID threat, that is going to allow several budget measures aimed at helping with everyday medical costs, money that they thought they were going to have to put in to COVID. They're now saying so many people are vaccinated well there's still a worry with hospital uh, numbers but they they do have extra money now that they can divert instead and use it for everyday medical costs and they're seeing this as one of them giving young families with parents with young children to give them a little bit of a break with this free GP care for the under uh, sevens then staying on medical cost there's going to be a lowering of the threshold for the drugs refund scheme. We only spoke about this actually last week on the programme. It's currently at €114 Euro a month. That's going to go to a flat €100. Euro. And for anybody who is paying for their medication privately and using the drug refund scheme, and if you are paying the 114 and then everything is free after that, but if you are paying the 114 it means in a full year you'd have saved €168. Uh, you will be saving €168. Euro. But let's wait and see if and when that gets announced tomorrow when will they introduce the lowering of the threshold to 100 euro because that's what happened in 2019 it got mentioned but it actually didn't come in for till well over a full year later and that's what was being pointed out by one of our listeners uh, last week. Now there's also going to be an improvement in the dental scheme and this is aimed particularly at younger PAYE uh, workers. They're going to now be able to qualify after two years for of PRSI contributions at the moment it's at five when I saw that there was going to be some improvements to the dental scheme 
thinking about what we spoke about last week with people who have medical cards and can't get access to a, a, a dentist. Thought it was going to be something there, but it's not. It's for people who actually work. Uh, so the PAYE workers will benefit from uh, that. There's going to be a package for disability. There's going to be a package for mental health, a package for uh, older people. For older people, they're looking at things like home support and care hours. They're all going to be increased. Straight away, though, I foresee a problem there. We can't get carers. There's just not enough people to do those caring roles we heard about and we're continuing to hear about it on the news today co-action in West Cork they can't get the workers to work in their houses because of that they're closing uh, two of the houses we're going to be speaking later on in the programme today about a shortage of carers nationwide and the problems that that's causing if there's an elderly person and it's deemed that they need some kind of a home care package in order for them to remain at home in the main that's where older people want to stay but if they can't get the carers to work the hours in order to get the home care package up and running it is unfortunately going to going to push some older people into nursing home, home care when they could be left at home but there's just this shortage of carers so I'll wait with interest to see what is announced under the home supports and uh, care uh, hours staying on uh, medical and what they hope to do from the health uh, point of view. 250 million euro they're going to push to try to tackle waiting lists. We are now getting to a situation in this country that we have close to a million people on waiting lists. That number had been high before the pandemic but then obviously the pandemic hit. There was probably a whole year where waiting lists. Nobody came off a waiting list. If anything, people just got added on uh, to it. And it is shocking to think that we have a million citizens in this uh, country waiting to either see a consultant or to get in for some kind of procedure. So 250 million might sound like a lot of money, but if there's a million, close to a million people on the list, I don't know how far that is going to go. They're talking about 30 million euro in a cancer strategy. And they're also, of course, and they seem to be definitely running with this, 10 million euro is going to be used for the rollout of free contraception for young adults. Again, this is something that's been spoken about. I think it says 18 to 25 year olds, they're talking about free contraception for young women uh, in that age group. As I said, they have been talking about it. It looks like it's going to be put in place tomorrow in the budget and it will cost £10 million. Then measures will be taken to also relieve period poverty. That's the first time that's ever been done uh, in this uh, country. They're also talking about giving extra money to expand the sexual assault treatment uh, unit. So all of those really good, whether it's going to be enough and whether it's going to make a difference, only time will tell. If you are a smoker you'll have heard Barry on the news this morning telling you uh, 50 cent extra on a packet of 20 cigarettes. A couple of weeks ago there had been talks that they wouldn't hit the old reliables, that the drink would be left alone and the cigarettes would be uh, would be left uh, alone. Now it is looking like alcohol, there'll be no increases in alcohol either on sale or in the off licences but the cigarettes certainly are going to be hit and the 50 cent on a packet of 20 cigarettes you're guaranteed that that will come in from midnight tomorrow night fuel allowance is going to go up they're also looking at extending the period of time that they pay out the fuel allowance so there'll be a weekly increase and very possibly it'll be extended maybe by two weeks I heard rumoured at the weekend that that's what they seemed to be pushing for obviously that's as a result of the energy crisis that we're facing at the moment there's going to be no change on PR RSI, there will be little or no change on income tax, although they are saying 
that the threshold for entering the tax net, that's going to be raised and the standard rate band considerably widened. So that means people who perhaps are paying tax at the moment, you might just push them out so they won't be paying tax. And for people on lower incomes, they won't be getting into the tax bands as quickly as they would have before whatever gets announced at tomorrow. There is going to be new Gardaí. Uh, and even though I was reading a piece on the paper today, I'll try, hopefully get to it later on, just showing how we do not have enough Gardaí. And, you know, anecdotally, people will tell you every radio station in the country, including this radio programme, will have received calls from people saying we don't have enough Gardaí out on the beat. There's hard and fast evidence there now in the numbers of Gardaí that are actually there. So they're talking about the recruitment of new Gardaí. It'll go from 500 to uh, 700 so that will be announced tomorrow then there is a new local property tax now before people are going to come on hang on we haven't paid our property tax yet this is going this has been called a local property tax for land hoarders and this is something that's been pushed by the finance minister Pascal Donoghue owners of zoned and serviced property which is not developed after receiving planning permission they will end up being faced with a 3% value tax. They're going to have to make a self-assessment declaration as what's done with local property tax and they're also going to hand the scheme over to the revenue commissioners. They're going to be the ones administering it so they're going to take the responsibility away from the local property, from the local authorities but it's been seen as a local property tax for land uh, hoarders. There's a homes package. This is for Darrell O'Brien and the first stage of his housing for all strategy. 600 million euro is expected to be released least there. Tourism is to get an injection. I mean, certainly people in tourist areas listening to us this morning would be pleased with this. Up to 50 million extra is going to be put to market Ireland and they're trying to get the message out that, you know, Ireland is open for business and that we're a very welcoming country and they're really going to push Ireland uh, abroad. There's also going to be cash to boost recovery to the worst hit sectors as a result of the pandemic and in particular looking at the arts and culture and the Catherine Martin, the culture minister, will be well pleased. She was looking for 100 million extra. Now she didn't quite get 100 million extra but her overall allocation goes from 180 million to 230 million so she's getting an extra 50 million. The money is going to invigorate festivals and musical events including things like getting nightclubs back up and uh, running. There will also be a worker salary subvention Now that's going to be under what's currently there the employment wage subsidy scheme and that's in return for a pledge. This is for on childcare. This is in a pledge that there will no be no there will be no additional charges to parents because any parent who has small children at the moment who is in creche or daycare will tell you that the money that they are paying out is almost equivalent at times if not more than their mortgages so it's like they have two mortgages I saw a young mother on the TV uh, talking about she's almost wishing her child's life away and thinking okay I have another two years of this and then she'll be into mainstream and it's not going to cost me as much but she said she's literally lying in bed at night wishing that 
that her child, who's obviously a three-year-old now, can't wait for it to get to five so that she won't have all of these child care uh, costs. Now, pensioners are going to get an extra five euro a week. There have been a lot of talk and a lot of speculation and a bit of a push that pensioners should get at least 10 euro a week. The 10 euro looks like that's off the table. It's going to be five euro for pensioners and it looks like that's going to, that same increase is going to be across all of the social welfare uh, payments. So the widow's pension, the disability, the illness benefit, job seekers, everybody across the board will be getting the five euro and already somebody in saying, and when, when will that increase come in? It's never instant. You can be sure of that. It's usually around March. They usually try and time it so that it comes in around St. Patrick's Day. So while it will get announced in October, it will be well into the new year before that five euro extra, unless they totally surprise us tomorrow. And certainly for old age pensioners and for people and other social welfare recipients, it will be welcomed because it's been two years. There's been two budgets where there's been no increase in the old age pension. So that certainly will be very welcomed. For people on child benefit and already a text in St. Patricia, any increase in the child benefit allowance, can we expect something from that uh, tomorrow? They're saying no, the child benefit is once again going to be left alone and that's going to be a bitter pill, I think, for parents uh, to have to swallow because many people rely on that monthly uh, children's uh, allowance. The Greens will also get €120 euro. What's that for? I hear you cry. It's for retrofitting and there will also be a huge allocation for public transport. That, of course, we know that was indicated last week in the National uh, Development Plan. So the Greens will be happy happy for that. And if you are a low-income worker, are you working on the minimum wage? The minimum wage is set to uh, increase to €10.50. Again, I don't know when. That's the devil will be in the detail, but that's what's expected to be announced uh, tomorrow. Just a sample of what we can expect tomorrow from the budget. I don't know if anything in that. Are you welcoming of anything in that? Is there some other area you would prefer them to have put money into? Your thoughts welcome. Deirdre was on to us on Friday. Now, this actually happened on Thursday, but she wants us to give a shout out to it uh, and asking if we could say thank you to a young man who stopped to help Deirdre change a tyre on the Ballinagree to McCroom Road. Now, it happened at around lunchtime, about one o'clock on Thursday. Now, unfortunately, Deirdre didn't manage to get the young man's name. She said he was driving a black 2010 Audi car, but how we may be able to identify him. He was getting married on Saturday in Kenmare. She said it was so good of him to stop and help me as many wouldn't, especially in these times. And then she said when Deirdre tried to give him something to thank him for his trouble, he wouldn't accept anything. So she said, could you thank him please? And uh, just like to wish him the best of luck in his married life. And I hope the good comes back to him. And I'm sure it will. Does anybody know, somebody must know somebody who would have been around that area Ballin agreed to McCroom Road. Now I'm assuming the young man himself is, is either away off in his honeymoon or is on, in a, on a mini moon somewhere with his bride so surely not listening to us but they got married in Kenmare on uh, Saturday and that's, uh, well the weather certainly Saturday afternoon was gorgeous so hopefully they had lovely weather for it as as well and thank you Deirdre for taking the time to contact us and John and Donnerell has also been on uh, with his 
trying to do his bit of uh, goodwill. He found a silver chain with a disc. He said the disc on it is the size of a two-cent coin and it's dark green in colour. Then there's a smaller disc, which he reckons is about the size of a five-cent coin and that's a lighter colour. And he found it in Donnerill. He says maybe it was somebody out walking in Donnerill Park. As I take it, Donnerill Park would have been busy over the weekend. He found it on the on the main street and we have John's contact because he'd like to get it back to its rightful owner. So if anybody lost a silver chain with two discs on it, a dark green colour one and the other a lighter green. John is looking after it for you. And thank you to Rose who says, Patricia, to Hollow Vintage Club would like to thank everyone for their support on their charity run for cystic fibrosis yesterday. €2,380 was raised. That's a terrific sum of money from a vintage run. Special thanks to Boherb Supervalue Bohrbui, the staff of Mount Alvernia Hospital and the Corbett Court for their generous donation and wonderful meal. So well done to everyone who took part in the Duhalo Vintage Club at Cystic Fibrosis. Great uh, charity and a terrific sum of money raised. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. Shear the thaw in an onegal place. Not Clocherlon, Gordini, on the Darha, Agas Onot Irochta, no Achoyhe, on Ochtu Hishdiag, Elorna Kaharach. Tog the Hadam at Shultim Pulman Gordini, Shiahanta, Agaswenacha, or to Kuvet Vokyolher and Fuelchlos, I'm sure Lowen. Denter Kailura er Ish Nanonegals and Unutza, Gavaiter Kocht, Chita Dachas, Kimshu Pobwil, Agas Round Fortiacht. Tarman, not Mephosulesh, Elorna Kaharach, Bich Planagot, Kunkurtu Hurted, Gulua. Nocta, Quid Denaneha, is far. Harry Gorkic, C103. C103. With Harry Corey, where autumn means an exciting new range of colours and fabrics. View in store at Turner's Cross Retail Park or online at harrycorry.com. Harry Corey, see what's in store. A lot of people were quite shocked last week to hear that the UCC Students Union had to turn students away when they turned up at their newly opened food bank because they simply didn't have enough food. To find out what's been happening since, I'm joined by Quiva Walsh of UCC Student Union's Welfare. She's Student Union's Welfare Officer. Good morning to Quiva. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. How many students did you expect would show up at the food bank when you opened it last week? So about two years ago, I think it was between 20 to 30 students used to show up. So that's kind of what we were catering for in around those numbers. And instead it was, it, was, it was over 100, I believe. Yeah, over 100 students ended up turning up. Um, and then we had to turn some away. But the students who we didn't have food for on Wednesday came back on Thursday and Friday. And we were able to give them food then. Well done, well done. What are you hearing, Quiva, from students as to why they're struggling so much this year? Um, accommodation prices and fees, college fees. So a lot of the time, you know, when students are like paying off their accommodation, they have very little left for the rest of like the month. And then as well, the college fees, they're very expensive too. And now would be the time, you know, you have to pay them. So students are left with very little. And they feel the one thing they can save on is food. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think many haven't shared the struggle with family or even friends? Yeah, I actually, I think there's a lot of students that are coming to me who haven't, like their families have no idea they're coming to us for food. Um, I think like a lot of students, they don't want to have to ask their family for more money. So they're just, you know, like they're just um, coming to the food bank and not telling them. 
That's tough. That's tough. And then yeah. I take it, Quiva, for some, there's an element of embarrassment to have to reach out and ask for food. Yeah, there is, you know, um, there is around it. But, you know, I think, like, the stigma around that is kind of breaking and people now, like, you know, they're starting to ask for help, which is great. Um, we were, like, it was sad, but it was also so good that that many students, like, felt comfortable enough coming to get food off us. Because it's not their fault. I mean, that's the no. one message you're trying to get out. No, it's not their fault. And the public reaction since Quiva has really been wonderful, hasn't it? Yeah, we were just weren't expecting it at all. Actually, we were kind of blown away. Um, it's amazing, you know, what happens when everyone kind of comes together. Um, but we're so grateful, like, for what we've been getting. Students themselves have been offering to help out other yeah. students. Yeah, students, staff, local businesses. It's great. Is it a similar story at other colleges around the country? Oh yeah, it is. It is. Like I've been contacted by like other student unions, um, saying that they're like in the same boat, and now they want to set up their food banks as well. So um, it is like it's not just the problem in Cork. I mean, it's definitely a problem all over the country. And trying to find accommodation is that still? Yeah. You still hearing stories about that? Oh yeah, yeah. There's still students without somewhere to live. Yeah. They're bunking in with other students and... Yeah, and, 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 in their cars and, and, and families that can't afford it. There are some families that are paying hotels. Yeah, um, I saw that the host, there's a hostel up... Is it Sheila's Hostel? Yeah. There's students living there. Um, I actually haven't been contacted by any students myself now who live okay. in hostels, but I have heard about it. And it's and a Cork Penny Dinners. Was, is, am I right in saying they helped you out last week with the food bank? Yeah, so um, we saw an article saying that students have been going to Penny Dinners and when I saw that, I just I rang Katrina and then she said she'd help me in setting up the food bank here. And she had been seeing people come to Cork Penny Dinners itself? Yeah, yeah, students. And not something she's seen in previous years, I take it? Um, I don't think so, no. No. Okay, and I know there was a GoFundMe page set up. That's that's gone well for you? Yeah, I actually have enough to it now in the last say, day or two, but I know we've raised loads of money on it and we're we're so thankful for it. And the food bank, it's, it, you're reopening it again this week? Yeah, it'll be open this evening from five to seven. Okay, so it's one day a week, is it? Is that the plan? Or? Um, at the moment, it could be two. We'd have to see how tonight goes. Okay. All right, yeah. okay, so you're you're well stocked up for tonight anyway? Yeah. Okay. All right, listen, Quiva, good luck with it and uh, thanks a million for joining. Oh, but just before I let you go, um, we, I was talking about what's expected to be in tomorrow's budget. One of the items been spoken about is an increase in the student grants. That would be the first increase in more than a decade. Yeah, I think um, I think there needs to be an increase in the grants, to be honest. I mean, like, it's not, pay, it's not enough. Like, even when it comes to accommodation, again, you know, um, I, I see students who are getting their grant in, paying off their accommodation, and but like the accommodation is actually more than what the grant is. So like it's not even covering rent. But it's hard to believe that there hasn't been an increase in it in ten years. I mean, the cost ten of, years is a long time. Yeah. yeah, the cost of living has certainly gone up in in ten Definitely, years. Definitely, yeah. Okay, listen, uh, thanks a million, Quiva, and thanks for joining no us. Uh, good morning to you. Yeah, bye-bye. That is uh, Quiva uh, Welch of the UCC Students' Union. She is their uh, welfare officer. 1850-333-103. I was talking about the budget. Ita has been on to us to say she can't understand why people want everything for nothing. They want houses for nothing. They want to attend their GPs for nothing. She feels that people have their priorities all wrong. Ita 
Ita says she doesn't drink. She doesn't have subscription TV. She said, why can't people save money? And then they would have money for their own health care. If people gave up their subscription TV, they'd be able to afford a house and health appointments instead of relying on the taxpayers to pay for everything. Uh, Ita, I I don't know how much you think subscription TV costs, but I don't think it's as simple as somebody having a subscription TV, giving that up is going to allow them to be able to purchase a house or to be able to pay for medical care. There are people literally living hand to mouth as it is. And as I say, I I don't know how much you think subscription TV is, but honest to God, love, it isn't that expensive. Uh, 1850-333-103. Donny in Newmarket hearing me talk about the pensioners and they're expected to get an extra five euro. Donny says, Donny sounds like he's a man in the know who knows all the stats on all of the previous budgets. He says, in the last 12 budgets, there was no rise in eight of them. Is that true? Um, For pensioners. Tony says there had been a call for a 15 euro increase in the budget. I certainly heard a lot of people calling for 10 euro. Tony says there was some calls for 15 euro a week extra. Tony says if he was the Minister for Finance, he reckons the old age pensioners should be getting an extra 50 euro. Uh, a week. He also remembers Fianna Fáil back in 2007 saying that by 2012 the old age pension would be at €300 Euro a week. Well, we're at 2021 and they're now nowhere near. It's, what is it, about 240? Is that kind of the figure it is at the moment? Uh, it, it certainly is nowhere near the 300 mark, and that was a promise made that it would be by 2012 at 300 euro. It'll be an, a long way off before we get to 300 euro, particularly if it's the increases is only 5 euro a, a week. Uh, and if they only give 5 euro on every budget. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Drive time with Martina O'Donoghue on C103. C103. Join me every weekday from four, and I'll get you home with Cork's greatest hits and lots more. And lots more. Choose our feel good song of the day, and we'll brighten up your journey with our feel good story. Feel good story. And we'll keep you moving with the very latest traffic info and local news for Cork. Drive time weekdays from four. On C103. Now, for the first time in its history, Kaloshtan at Tubrida in Bandon is to welcome boys through the school gates when they become a co-educational school from next September. Joining me, the principal, and that is uh, Mary Galvin. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. And how are you doing? I, well, I'm good. very, very, good, very good. well. Now, how long has it been an all-girls school? 200 years 200 years tradition um, here in the town I suppose it's going back to uh, Catherine O'Neill and uh, she founded the Bandon Presentation College Um, the first school would have been located over in the north side of the other side of the town and then in 1991 the current building was opened here because the numbers were growing at that time but for that 200 years it was always girls So talk to me about how the decision was made to to go Mm co-ed The Department of Education approached um, the, the 
trustees. Now, we're within the KISHT trustees, so the Department of Education approached them. I suppose it's coming on the back, Patricia, of a number of situations in the town over the last number of years where there hasn't been enough places, particularly for boys. So the enrolment process begins annually, you know, end of September, October, and I suppose what has been seen here in Bandon over recent years is that there are just not enough places in the town, particularly for boys. So it then came to the Department of Education, I suppose feedback being received, and they were looking at it and approached our trusteeship um, with the ask and the consideration to see if Claudia Interpreter would consider changing status from all girls to um, boys and girls. How have staff and students reacted to the news? Very positive. Yeah. Very positive all round. I mean, it would have started with the trustees meeting with the board of management and then taking time to um, consult and to discuss with um, staff, then mentioning it to the students. But overall, I think as well, Patricia, there was a sense that it was time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely, I got that myself within it. Now, I was new with them here in the school as well in the past year, so all that change was going on as well, but I got a real sense of positivity. The community was very important here as well. The, you know, the parents, the general um, abandoned, wider abandoned community, and there was very much a sense that time, that this was time and that this would bring, this would be good and it was a positive news story. So that in one sense gave us huge encouragement That's great. to That's start great. preparing and moving forward. Now, do, how, how will it work? Will you start with first years? It, or we will, Patricia, yeah. It'll be, incre- it, it'll be incremental. So we'll start with first years. So the enrolment process is underway. As you know, it takes quite a while in school. So you're starting almost. You have one year group commenced and then literally within weeks you're starting an enrolment process for the following year. So the enrolment process is underway and boys will be joining us next September moving forward. So 2022 is where you'll see the first cohort coming through. Will will there have to be physical changes made to the school building? There will. Now some of those, I mean, some of it will be on a practical level around your um, bathrooms, changing rooms, etc. But some of it um, we had to look then, uh, Patricia, I had to kind of look at the overall curriculum offering in the school and I suppose one of the areas where we felt that there was a need, and this would be for both boys and girls, would be around the areas of technology. So with that there's a suite of programmes there, so you're looking at construction, engineering, technical graphics and some of those, particularly construction, engineering, they demand very practical rooms, very specific specialist equipment. So with all of that in mind, an additional classrooms etc we have submitted an additional accommodations application to the Department of Education now they're very favourable towards it we expect to get a date in the coming months of where we will get an extension and we should be looking towards getting a date as to when that will commence so ultimately Patricia you are looking at a huge change structurally going forward initially you're going to see changes within the building around as I say the practical accommodations but the actual school structure itself, you will see a large um, additional accommodation being built but there's no date at this at this time as I'm on the call this morning, I don't have a date, however we would have 
constant communication with the department back and forth on the actual plans. And but you, they haven't given a date. And you have the space for it and everything. See, we have 12 acres yeah, here. So yeah, it's, you're very you know, lucky. It's, yeah, we're very, very lucky. So in all of it, I can see how this is making real practical sense. Um, and whereby you do have an existing building that absolutely needs a retrofit, but you could see how where they could actually expand out from there. What about what about sports facilities? Will you have to? Have, have, yeah. Are you okay there? No, we will have to absolutely have to. No, we have. We're very lucky. I suppose it was um, the the sports hall is in a, a very good order, and we were lucky that there was a significant size one built way back in 1991. So that was forward thinking with the the um, the order at the time to ensure that that's there. You have a basketball court. Um, we have a pitch, but certainly you'd want enhancement of facilities, Patricia, moving forward, and that's part of that plan. Okay, and your numbers in the school then, do you have you any idea how the, how, how the student numbers will go up by how many? Okay, currently we have 500, so it will be incremental. So you're going to see that this will be a, you know, this will be a slow burner. It'll ha- this will have to build over time, particularly when you're starting in first year. So ultimately the plans that we have been asked to submit for will bring a, a, the school size up to 1,000. But you are looking at a long road there. It's I mean, over six yeah, years yeah, probably. Oh, you're looking at a very yeah. long time there, Patricia. Yeah. But um, obviously I suppose, to have, yeah, I suppose that's the way the department now days is looking at things rather than building and then running out of space um, they're looking at an original submission for the larger amount and but how much of that of course will actually be approved I mean we're, we're awaiting a decision on all of that yeah, yeah. I, I was on Friday when, that, when I knew you were coming on the programme today mm-hmm. I was looking at the videos that you have up on online and you know something uh, the, the one on the enrolment which has boys in it that's what confused us slightly here in the office I was saying oh, there are boys already in there but you've got boys to take part in the we got boys to show I suppose to demonstrate you yeah. know what would it look like because there will be that sense um, and I think for the, the initial group now I suppose we've, we're overcoming some of that we can't do the traditional open night at the moment it's just too many people moving to a building it's all for COVID reasons yeah, yeah. so I suppose to overcome that you're trying to demonstrate well look this is what it would look like in your video also we're 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 offering personal tours, so that's allowing um, parent and, and or guardian and their child to actually come and visit the school on their own after school hours, um, and to be able to actually see the building, yeah, well just done. to get a feel well for done. the fabric of it. I suppose it might just help because it is a big decision. I know it myself. I'm I'm a mom. I know you know of three children. I know that phase where you're moving from primary into post primary. You want to get it right. And sometimes you actually need to actually have a look at a place. You need to get a feel for it yeah, to yeah. be able to help in the decision making. Well, I so tell you, I don't know who put your video together, but it made me want to go back to school. Oh. I thought, I thought of, who, who did the videos? The video was a K Media. Um, it's a gentleman, Killian. He's based, but to be honest, the actual, um, I suppose, the storyboarding, the actual how the planning out of it yeah. would have been done here with some of the staff on the ground. Well done. And the students, we have a media team here as well, and that's where your student voice comes in. The actual students are involved in that as well to kind of 
is say, what can we showcase? What can we tell people? How can we tell them our story? Well, the school came across it. Look, it's a, st- it's a beautiful school anyway, but I mean, it Thank came you. across uh, really, really well. So you're reaching out to the boys and yeah, girls currently yeah. in sixth class. Absolutely, yeah. we are. And, you know, and even uh, I had an opportunity to visit the primary schools recently. And I suppose in many cases now, I think in the, the smaller schools anyway, when you meet with the sixth class, uh, ultimately the fifth class are going to be in the room as well. So, um, but we are, because again, you'll find even families, particularly with the first, you know, even in fifth class, the thoughts are coming through the mind as to where that post-primary school might be and where they might be going to. And particularly maybe in areas like our own where you have large catchment areas, where there are boundaries, where, you know, where, where students might be looking at different towns or even within the actual town here itself. So there's a lot of decision-making for them. So while the uh, ultimately we're focused on the sixth class, but we've, we've been very welcome in inviting in the fifth class or even talking to them as well. And have yeah. you have you organised the uniform that the boys will be wearing? We are currently, yeah. actually we have a meeting this morning, a number of us. So we're putting together the, I suppose, well, we'll keep it very similar. Okay. Um, we're, we're lucky enough here in that we have a uniform that we use where we're using the, the green jumper for juniors and then that moves to the Navy and senior. So there's already great, I suppose, prototypes there. So it's a case of actually now sharing that with our um, student and staff and parent body and determining which one is the one that we're moving forward for our incoming first year group okay. next year. Certainly yeah. exciting times. It's great. Yeah, how, it's great. Is, how is everything going? You're back now and COVID times and all of that. It's it's very strange times in many ways, isn't oh, it, it, for was. schools? And Patricia, last year, you know, I, I think we'll, I just think it's a year nobody will forget. Now look, that's in every sector, in every organisation. It's not just unique to school settings, but I suppose it was difficult for everybody around you'll be everybody will I mean we'll all nod at that one um I suppose we are definitely seeing a lift look the same measures are in place you know we're still keeping social distancing in place we're still sanitizing we're still wearing our masks and that's really important and I suppose there's almost an understanding that that's going to be there going forward we don't expect that anything of great change will come in that but I suppose there is a sense though like some of our you know our outdoor um, sports and activities that our students were engaging in prior to COVID, um, they're able to go back and play now again in their teams. And that, that was a huge loss. Um, there's so much more yet to come on board, though, Patricia, and we are just hoping. We expect, I suppose, October the 22nd will be another. I know Neffet are due to make an announcement there again. Yeah. Um, so we're taking it step by step. Um, is there a sense as well, though, that we're more familiar with it this year? And is that making it a little bit more bearable I for think, everybody? Yeah, I think and that's I think the way it is. It's, that it, as well, yeah. it's almost become the norm. Listen, so. Mary, anyway. real, real pleasure to uh, speak you with too. you. Uh, best of luck uh, to the boys and girls. Thank uh, you. Get thank the and thanks for joining us. Yes, and thank you and to 103 for taking an interest in us. It was lovely, well, lovely our, to get our, the call, Patricia. Our pleasure. Thanks All for right, that, Mary. Bye-bye. What a lovely lady. She is the principal of Colostin and Tupperta in Abandon going co-ed from next September. Our thanks to Mary Gal. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
some of your thoughts uh, coming in. This is by WhatsApp from somebody who just signs it, a regular listener. Hi, Patricia. To Mark World Mental Health Day yesterday, I'd just like to say I've had constant despair and depression for years with a few mental health mind techniques and, med- and meditation. I'm back to near normality and on track to get even better to pre-illness times. My message to everybody listening is if I can do it, anyone can. Thanking you. That's a really good uh, text. Thank you for that and continued good luck on your journey uh, to good health. And talking of health, Norma was on to say she uh, is now waiting at least a month for results of x-rays that she had at Bantry General Hospital. And she's wondering, is this normal that you will be waiting a month for results of an x-ray from any hospital, but in particular it's Bantry General Hospital. Anybody else waiting that long? Seems like a long, excessively long time for an x-ray. Whatever about waiting to get in to get the x-ray, we know that there's waiting lists all over the place, but Norma had the x-ray but is still waiting on the results a month later. If anybody has advice for Norma, 1850 333103. We've been talking about the possible different increases that we're expecting in tomorrow's budget all over all of the papers today. Billy says, what a miserable lot. They they gave out a big pension pot to their former ministers not so long ago and former Taoiseach. And now they're giving, or they're talking about five euro extra in the state pension. By that time that five euro arrives into the bank accounts, so into the post offices for the old age pensioners, it'll be gone with the increases in energy bills, etc. Carers also got nothing for over the last two years by way of an increase. Yeah, that's why they're talking about five euro across the board. It's not just old age pensioners. It's going to be five euro across the board for all social welfare recipients. That's what's been uh, speculated about. Uh, John says, Patricia, big pay rise. This is John and Carrigaline. Big pay rise for the people on the lower rung of the ladder. Five euro. God help us, says John. Just to shut people up. Are we all really this thick and stupid? Who are the people that voted these people into government. Why aren't we calling for an election? This The government last Christmas made a big boo-boo and lives were lost. People forget fast, says John in Carrigaline. Not impressed about the mention of five euro for all of the various social welfare uh, recipients. So as says, well, we have to wait until January if they do announce that five euro pension increase tomorrow. I would say yes and I would hazard a guess maybe even longer. We've seen in the past on budgets when announcements are made that it's kind of the week coming up to St. Patrick's Day when it's paid out. Now I, I don't know yet but I certainly don't think it'll, It's it certainly will have to be January anyway because it is the budget that gets announced tomorrow is next year's budget so it certainly won't be before January but would it, will it even be later than January? It could be. We're going to have to wait and see. Patricia, is there any mention of a Christmas bonus this year? No, not yet. A bit too early for that yet even though it is something that they'll often will include in the budget and they'll say, they'll say it in the budget so let's wait but I haven't heard any mention of it as of yet. And Tim says, well will the increases in the, in the benefits begin? Often you don't get them until April when the fuel allowance is just about to stop for the summer. So instead of of an increase, people who get the fuel allowance are actually getting a loss every week. When will these increases begin? They these are separate for the cost. Uh, these are separate. Oh, this is the 
fuel allowance they're separate for the cost of heating they're, well they're talking about extending they're talking about an increase in the fuel allowance as well don't know by how much yet but they're also talking about extending the fuel allowance I've heard speculated over the weekend there may be an extra two weeks they'll put onto the fuel allowance but again we're going to have to wait until tomorrow and someone else says Patricia do you know are they planning to put up the price of fuel in the budget well that's a one that we definitely know is going to happen and I heard the public expenditure minister Michael McGrath talk about this at the moment because we know that there's going to be an increase in carbon tax and if there's an increase in carbon tax what does that mean? It means that the fuel goes up. Uh, Michael McGrath uh, promised a package though to soften the burden of rising energy costs for the less well off. That would be the likes of the fuel allowance but then you'd have some people saying not everybody gets the fuel fuel, uh, allowance. He is saying though there will be an increase in carbon tax, we know that and that was promised as part of the programme for government and every budget for the next number of years there's going to be an increase in uh, carbon tax. The home heating oil and solid fuel though the carbon tax increase won't kick in until next year, that's to allow people to get through the winter, but your vehicle fuels your petrol and your diesel that's almost certain to kick in from midnight uh, tomorrow night so the fill, so my advice is if you're passing a garage today or tomorrow fill up before midnight tomorrow night the the cost of a fill of petrol uh, for this will be for a full tank it'll go up by 130 for petrol and about 150 for uh, diesel because the carbon the carbon tax is going up by 7 euro 50 a metric ton don't quite understand how all that works out but I know it's 750 per metric tonne over the next number of years is the promise um, carbon tax. Again there have been calls on the government to hold back on the carbon tax because we know there's international increases in gas prices and in the price of a barrel of oil and that knock on effect of that is our electricity prices have gone up so there was hopes that and, and of course obviously then the knock on is it's gone up on the forecourts so there was hopes that there, people might get a bit of a, a break on this one and that they might go ahead with the carbon tax. But as I say, I heard the Public Expenditure Minister, Michael McGrath, speaking at the weekend and saying it is going ahead. So yes, the answer to you, the short answer to your question, will the price of fuel go up in the budget? Yes, um, absolutely it will. Now, we were talking with students in the last hour. I spoke uh, with the UCC Students' Union who were talking about the fact that they opened up a food bank last week, did it for the first time since 2019 and they had to close shop within 50 minutes because so many students are in need of food and there's a lot of food poverty. Some criticism of that coming in. John says, Patricia, the poor students, no money for food after getting a grant to go to college. How come they all seem to have plenty of money for drink and drugs and holding all night parties? Wouldn't it make you wonder, are we pure fools in this country it certainly looks like it says John and a Bantry texter says Patricia college students in Cork looking setting up a GoFundMe page to get food what about the Thursday night drink night plenty of money for vodka and gin shots please please wake up and think about it and that's from somebody in Bantry who describes themselves as a hard working person well all I can say is that when this food bank got mentioned last week and the one Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners came out and helped because she had noticed that students were coming to Cork Penny Dinners for food so she got involved with the food bank in UCC and she was asked about that and she said I know there are going to be people saying oh sure look they're all out drinking and having their nights out she says the people the students that are turning up for the food bank are not the same group of students who are out drinking so it's not that they're saying every single third level student 
can't afford food. They're saying that there's a cohort of students who can't go back to their families to look for extra money because their families are already struggling. I also heard there's a number of overseas students who are living here who don't have even family around them that they can actually uh, lean on. So I suppose there's two very distinct groups. Yes, there are college students who do party all night and who do have a great time and do have money uh, for drink. But in the main, they come from families who can either afford to subsidise their drinking or else they've had a bit of savings and they've you know, put some money away, they maybe have a part-time job or, or whatever, but there's two very distinct groups and just because you've got one group who are having all these late night parties, you can't then say well, we just, we, you know, we won't look after the ones who can't afford uh, the food. I mean, that certainly was the thinking and the rationale from Katrina Toomey who says regardless of what anybody says about students having parties, she will continue to have those that are in need. 1850 333 103 and Mary on a Mallow issue says, Patricia, it's absolutely shocking that the boardwalk on Mallow Bridge is still at a standstill. Where are all the workmen gone? It's been going on so long, says Mary. Well, I saw on the front page of this week's Mallow Star, they actually have a piece and the headline is Boardwalk is Delayed Again. And they have a quote in it from uh, Councillor Garode Murphy, who actually did, made an inquiry this week about why the work has stopped and where have, as Mary said, where have all the workmen gone? And Councillor Garode Murphy has been told it is due to a delay in getting building supplies. He says that there's a revised programme of works is expected in the coming days. And from that, we should get a clearer time frame as to when the job is going to be completed but he pointed out to the Mallow Star he's very disappointed he shares the disappointment of people in Mallow and he says it's gone ridiculous at this stage work began on the boardwalk in Mallow in the summer of 2019 now I know listen there was a pandemic in the middle of it as well but at that stage when it started in in the summer June was July and August of 2019 the time frame had been three months. The boardwalk was meant to be up and running by Christmas of 2019, which would have been in place before, as just as we were about to start hearing about a pandemic when you think about it. Uh, and here we are 27 months later and the boardwalk still is not uh, f- finished. Uh, it is now hoped, I believe, the councillor saying they are hoped that they've the job will be finished by Christmas of this year rather than Christmas of uh, 2019. So you're not on your own, Mary. A lot of people are very frustrated that that work isn't done. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. A factory manager is wanted. It's for ingredient solutions in Boherbui. Email a cover letter along with your CV, please, to bed at ingredientsolutions.net A window fabricator wanted this is a full-time position and it's in Quartertown in Mallow CVs please to Joseph at airfacades.com Springford Hall in Mallow they're looking for chefs or grades for full and part-time positions kitchen porters also required CVs to Paul at springford-hall.com an accounts assistant and office manager wanted for air facades systems in Quartertown. You send a CV and a cover letter, please, to aboyle at airfacades.com. 
You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Older people in Ireland may have no choice but to move out of their own homes because they cannot access the care and support services they need to continue living independently in their own houses. That's according to Sage Advocacy, who provides supports to older people, vulnerable adults and healthcare patients. And joining me is the Executive Director of SAGE, that is Sarah Lennon. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. This is down to a shortage of available carers. Has it anything to do with the pandemic or is this an, an, an issue that's been building for a number of years, Sarah? There's been various issues down the years, really, with, with home care. I think one of the big problems is that people don't have a right to home care. and So it has been very hard in the past, I suppose, to get a commitment for home care funding, for example. What seems to be the current crisis is that while funding is being made available for people to get care in their own home, there's a shortage of workers at the moment. Um, and look, there's, there's probably any number of reasons in, in relation to, to why that's happening. But certainly the, the current issue seems to be that while the home care hours are there, there's just nobody available to actually do the work. Is it very much a geographical problem in that some areas are worse than others? No, it seems to be quite spread out across the country. So SAID advocacy would have, I suppose, boots on the ground across the country and, and many of our advocacy workers are reporting um, exactly that. One of the big issues working with older people um, in their particular region is that um, you know that there is that shortage of workers and in, in many cases people are being told that look, the option might have to be nursing home care for them when the reality would be that they could, they could manage at home if, if they could get the care in place. And are we talking uh, across both the private operators and within the HSC? Yeah, so it seems to be it seems to be quite well spread around at the moment. I know that there was, uh, I suppose, some of the private operators would say that you know the HSE often the terms and conditions are better um, with with HSE provided services, so they would might maybe lose a lot of staff. So as well as getting workers, retaining workers is, is, is looking difficult as well and look, for anyone who's ever received care in the home, you know, retaining a, a, a carer that you trust and like um, can be just as important as, as you know, uh, as having having the worker in the first place, actually keep having a consistency of who's working with you can be very important. Absolutely, because there's, yeah. there's, there's a trust thing around it and and relationships almost get yeah. formed. You know, if somebody's coming into your house every single day providing, you know, sometimes very intimate care needs, you do build up a yeah. rapport with that person. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and as you say, just you know, from, from a pure dignity perspective a lot of the time. And also, you, you know, a lot of older people were told throughout the pandemic to, to stay in their own home and, and to, to cocoon was the language that was yeah. used. So for allowing people into our home, I think having a consistency is, is so important, you know. Do we need to improve paying conditions for carers? Definitely something that's been mooted by the government. Um, and I think that there's, there's talk now that the budget might do something in relation to, to paying conditions. I think, look, we, we know how absolutely critical these jobs are. Um, you know, if they're, if they're having difficulty attracting workers at the moment, then, um, yeah, obviously the paying conditions need to be on, on the table. But what we want is a high quality as well as everything else. Um, so we want, you know, what Sage Advocacy is looking for is that home care will be regulated in a very similar way to how nursing home care is regulated and that the pay, the conditions, but indeed the qualifications and skills of home care workers would be, um, will be regulated across the board. And are you hearing stories from people all over the country in need of home care? 
Yeah, so what we're seeing is in a lot of cases, family are stepping in, um, you know, where people are being assessed as needing home care, they're having that approved, they're having the package approved, but just getting people actually to do it on the ground is, is becoming um, extremely difficult. So, you know, the, the stories, I suppose, of, of spouses, maybe, you know, the person needing care might be in their 70s and 80s and their spouses in their 70s and 80s providing a certain level of care, which, um, you know, they may be, I suppose, happy to do in some respects, but in other respects, it's, it's a significant burden on them. And also, you know, where maybe a husband and a wife, for example, there may be a lot of manual lifting and all of that type of thing. So I think, you know, it, it is becoming a very acute situation. Um, and families are being told that if they can't get the home care, you know, nursing home might have to be the next option, which for many wow. people, they don't want. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, the irony of all of this, the, the economic cost, because p- putting people into a nursing home costs so much more than allowing that person to live independently with a little bit of help in their own home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we look. We know people live longer at home, and they they live they live you know well at home as well. Um, issues around mental health, um, you know, can come up with the nursing homes as well. And, and look, we also know that you know in some cases nursing homes weren't safe during COVID nineteen pandemic, and we're we're moving into now the flu season again. So yeah, I mean, as you say, from an economic perspective, keeping people at home makes sense. From a health and safety perspective, from an overall wellness perspective, keeping people at home makes sense. Um, or certainly giving people the choice over whether they would like to go into a nursing home, not that that would be the only choice. Available yeah, but, and there'll always be a need for nursing homes, you know, and I mean, we've got some wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. nursing homes. I mean, it was really unfortunate what happened, particularly at the start of the uh, pandemic. But for the majority of older people, given a choice, they want to remain in their own homes. Yeah, absolutely. And look, where, where people need intensive levels of care, it's appropriate that they, they may have that. But for a lot of people, perhaps with a small amount of home care, they could live for longer. And, and maybe down the road, nursing home would be their choice or would be appropriate for them. Um, but I think for people to be maybe prematurely going into nursing homes, I think is the big, would be a real frustration, I think, um, for all of us considering, um, you, you know, it doesn't have to happen. Um, you know, if we can solve, I mean, the staffing crisis around this, um, a lot more people could be kept in their own homes. I was trawling through the papers this morning. There's so much about the budget. We nearly have the budget. We nearly know exactly what's going to be said tomorrow. But I know uh, one of the items that, you know, I spotted was, you know, home supports and care hours are going to be increased. So it does look like they're going to put more money into it. But listening to you this morning, that's not necessarily the answer. Well, I think it's, it's always, we always need more. We always need more home care hours anyway. Um, and I think even for the people who, who've been given home care packages, they'd often say it's a bit light for them anyway in terms of what they would need. But I think, look, what we're saying, what Sage Advocacy is saying is that the budget needs to kind of solve the immediate crisis now, um, which is that people can't get home care workers. Um, but down the road, what we do need is Ireland is getting older. Um, we have an ageing population and the demand for care as people live longer and hopefully live better is only going to increase. The government has committed in the programme for government to a commission on care and we're really calling them for in the budget to say, you know, we're going to fund the commission on care to look at well, what is, is the future of long-term care in Ireland. We know that there's all sorts of issues at the moment around, you know, staunch care and, and all of that. Um, really getting our, our, our system of long-term care um, in order is, is crucial as well as solving this immediate uh, crisis in people's homes at, at present.
Yeah, here's the listener saying, morning, Patricia. I, I am a home care worker. I've been working with the same company for the last four years. I'm not getting any additional hours. It's ridiculous. We don't get paid for travel. It's no wonder they can't encourage people into the profession. And that's where, they, where they're paying. And I know we, we spoke about it last week, funny enough, on the programme as well. That's the difference between a HSC worker and a, somebody working for a private company. That really does need to be looked at, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, there's a sort of an inequity there between, um, you know, what a, what a home care worker would get paid depending on who their employer is. I think yeah, you're, you're going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have a big difficulty attracting people to the private companies where they don't get paid for travel and, and other expenses. Um, you know, people aren't overpaid for the job that they're doing in terms of home care workers um, anyways. And if they're incurring additional costs, and people will measure up whether because it's not always an easy job to do either. And mm. um, so people will will be measuring up whether it's, it's worth them taking the roles or not. Um, and considering the essential nature of the role, I think we need to treat them as essential workers. Really, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean we know it is. This isn't the only sector that's screaming out looking for workers. We know in retail and hospitality that people now have a choice. If you know, if they decide this work is for me, I can get work somewhere else probably the same money and better conditions. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I, I think, look, as well as that, well, what we do know is that a lot of home care workers, you know, they didn't have the option to work from their own home during the crisis as well. So there was a risk associated with, um, you know, people working as, as home carers um, throughout the pandemic as well. And I think that, that needs to be, I suppose, the attractiveness of the roles in the round um, needs to be considered because, um, you know, we, we really do need people who, who are committed, but also people who are, you know, um, well well qualified and supported as well. So it's not all about sort of um, the pay, although that is an issue, and the expenses, although that is an issue. It's making sure there's continuing professional development for people as well. So I think how we treat and, and look at our home care workers needs to be considered. Um, yeah, and someone else, obviously another home care worker is also pointing out that the HSE are giving out 30 minute and 45 minute shifts. It doesn't pay a care assistant to travel for those shifts if you've got to drive, in particular if you're with a private company. I mean, the 30 minute ones is, seems crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very little time. You, you know, you might get someone out of the bed and, and get them the cup of tea and, and you'd be at the door again as well. And I know for some of the people that have been talking to us, if um, you know, if two if two home care workers are needed for that half an hour, that counts as one hour from, yeah. from the package as well. So that can be eaten up very quickly. Yeah, well. I saw that woman on the, the TV. She was a former retired nurse looking after her husband. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was taken aback when she said that, that when two carers, and like he's a big man and he obviously needs help getting in out of bed. I thought like she had 21 hours. I thought oh, that's not too bad. And then when she explained if two turned up, that's two hours is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It just needs to be to be looked at. It, it, it really does. And uh, finally, we've been mentioning this morning other things in the budget, and one of the ones that's causing a lot of anger, I think, amongst some of our older listeners, uh, the pensioners only to get five euro a week yeah. extra. Would you have liked? I take it you would prefer that to be a higher figure, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's the first increase in a few years, and it's, I suppose it's a low enough amount. And We'll be offset a lot by the increases in the home fuel and, and all of the all of the other cost of living measures as well. So, I think yeah. Look, I mean, it, it's always it's always difficult when these things are leaked well in advance um, to to know how to react to them. But I think it's it's it's, it's a meagre enough increase. Um, and I think, as I say, very clear. I think as well as 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 maybe throwing a fiver towards the pensions in the budget, a 
commitment from the government to dealing with long-term care, um, you know, would be a long-lasting legacy and be, you know, uh, I suppose a, a sincere form of, of recognition, I think, of, of the care needs of older people, I think would be really welcomed as well as small cost of living increases in the budget. Okay. All right. Listen, Sarah, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Sarah Lennon, who is the Executive Director of SAGE, um, who advocates on behalf of older people. That is Sarah Lennon. Trish in Blackpool is on a non-contributory pension. And she says she's just been informed by the council that from Friday her rent is going up by €8.60. So while the pension may go up by a fiver, her rent increase is going to cancel it out. In fact, she will be less well off after tomorrow's budget. And she said, I'm not alone on that one. It's time for our monthly citizens information slot. And this month we're looking at returning to work post-COVID restrictions and that deadline of October 22nd fast approaching. George Ford is information officer with the South Munster Citizen Information Service. And George is based in the Fromoy office. And George joins me this morning. Good morning to George. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, are you open for drop-ins yet? This is information. Are you still doing your work over the phone? Yeah, we're still providing our service mainly by phone, but we're also seeing people face-to-face by appointment when in circumstances where it's not possible to deal with the issue over the phone. So we just ask that people give us a call first and we can arrange an appointment if they need to see us face-to-face. Okay, but generally speaking, you've been operating quite well over the phone, though. A lot of the issues can be dealt with over the phone, can't they? Yes, so we're dealing with a lot of them over the phone. The majority of them really, um, and it saves people travel and expense that way, so it's been working quite well. Okay, all right. Now, we know the October 22nd is the date uh, where the government has said people can return to the office. Are there specific measures that an employer needs to put in place for when the employee returns to the workplace? Um, Yes, employers must take reasonable steps to provide a safe workplace for their staff. So the employer has further obligations now under the new return to work safety protocol, such as appointing a lead worker representative, updating their health and safety policies and sending all employees a pre-return to work form to fill out. Now, what's the pre-return to work form? What What do we expect that to contain? Okay. So the form should ask employees to confirm that they have not had any symptoms of COVID-19 in the past 14 days, uh, that they have not been diagnosed with COVID-19 in the past 14 days, and that they have not been in close contact with someone confirmed or suspected of COVID-19 in the past 14 days, and that they are not restricting their movements or self-isolating. Now, the big question, the vaccination. And we know the majority of people have been vaccinated, but we also know that there are a small proportion of people who haven't been uh, vaccinated. Do employees have to tell their boss if they're vaccinated or not? Um, uh, So in most cases, an employee does not have to tell their employer whether or not they're vaccinated. Um, Guidance came out from the Data Protection Commissioner's Office stating that in general there's no legal basis to collect or process an employee's vaccination data. Now, the only kind of exception to that is that might not apply to employees who work in high-risk settings, such as frontline workers. And in that sort of situation, an employer could collect data related to the vaccination status as a necessary health and safety measure for hospital staff and people like that. Okay, and what about workplace exposure then to COVID-19? Yeah, so under the work safety protocol, an employer is expected to facilitate at-risk or vulnerable workers to work from home where possible. 
If that is not possible, an employer must ensure that at-risk workers are preferentially supported to maintain physical distances of at least two metres. Okay, so you've got to look at the office and make sure that you can give somebody a desk where, where they're two metres away from everybody else. Mm. Now, we, we've heard of, and we get calls every now and again in about people who are really nervous about returning uh, to the office and returning to the workplace. What if an, an employee refuses? Okay, so I suppose in the Citizens Information Service, like we have a lot of experience of advising both employers and employees. So in that type of situation, the first question that would need to be examined by the employer is what are the reasons being given as to why the employee is refusing to return and whether by working with the employee, the employer can successfully alleviate those concerns. So, but if a person uses the reason, I don't want to come into the workplace because, you know, I'm living with a very vulnerable person and I don't want to bring COVID home with me. Yeah, so if the employee themselves is healthy and is not at risk, like in an at-risk category themselves, but they're refusing to return um, as they live with someone who is particularly vulnerable, the first thing to assess would be whether that can be resolved by allowing the employee to work from home. Now, where that isn't possible, we would always advise attempting to resolve the employee's concerns um, through good employee relation practices. So a lot of employers would have employee assistance programs for support. Um, the employer also should uh, explain to the employee what the new safety measures they have put in place are. And we'd also be saying, can the employer assay, uh, sorry, explain the basis of the risk assessment they've carried out specifically in the context of his or her unique circumstances? Um, also, can the employer put the employee in touch with occupational health to reassure them? Um, and are there any additional measures or facilitations that can reasonably be put in place by the employer above and beyond those that are strictly required in order to alleviate and take away the employee's concerns or worries about returning? Yeah, it, it really is down to everybody uh, working together. Can an employer for, force an employee to come back to work? Um, yeah, so in theory, yes. Failure to follow a reasonable management instruction is a disciplinary matter. And yes, in theory, an employer could seek to discipline such an employee. However, in the current kind of exceptional circumstances, we would advise employers to consider a more reasoned approach in those type of circumstances. It's a very new era and not many cases on this kind of topic have come ahead of the Workplace Relations Commission yet. Um, so the Citizens Information Service would assist the employer or the employee to consider other options, such as taking statutory leave, such as a block of carers leave, or maybe parental leave, for example. Yeah, I'm glad you said yes, because yes, because I do think there will be some cases, but only time uh, will tell. Hopefully not. Mm-hmm. What if an employee has a sick cert from his or her doctor? Okay, so generally if it re- relates to short-term absence and the employee is meeting all their normal obligations under the employer's sick, or, sick pay or sick leave policy, the employee should be treated the same way as any other employee on sick leave in that regard. And if the reason is simply just because the person is worried and is anxious about going back to work? Yeah, so employers are supposed to take reasonable steps to provide a safe workplace for their staff and the employer has new further obligations under the work work safety protocol. Um, If the employer refuses to meet their obligations under that, the employee could make a complaint to the Health and Safety Authority Now, they should raise their concern with the employer or their trade union first before making any formal complaint. And if an employer went on to dismiss an employee because they refused to return to work uh, because of safety concerns and the employee, if they could prove that the workplace was in fact unsafe, then 
they could then take their complaint um, to the Workplace Relations Commission for an unfair dismissal case. Now, just on the flip side of that, uh, an employee may face disciplinary action if they do not want to return to work in situations where they can't work from home if the employer has work available for them and if they have taken reasonable steps to ensure that the workplace is safe. So they should discuss their concerns first um, um, about returning with the employer and usually they should be able to resolve the issue without either party having to take any formal action. Yeah, again, it's all back to lines of communication and, and talking between the employer and the employee. What about some employees may have a problem trying to access childcare? Um, well, luckily, I suppose schools and childcare facilities are open again. Um, but if an employee needs to take time off work unexpectedly because of a child's illness, if it's a short-term illness, they could be entitled to force major leave under the Parental Leave Act. If an employee is not sick themselves but cannot go to work because their child's been diagnosed with COVID-19, and we are hearing cases of that because there has been outbreaks in schools. Okay, so if that were the case, if you yourself weren't sick but you can't go to work because your child or other relative, maybe that you care for, has been diagnosed with COVID-19, you'd obviously need more time, we'll say, in that situation. So if the employer can't give the employee paid leave, they could ask for statutory leave. So statutory leave would be some sort of leave that is set out in law, for example, parental leave. And employers at the moment, they are being encouraged by the government to provide uh, compassionate leave. Um, but if they can't get anything like capacity leave, we'd be advising parental leave. Yeah, and in, and in fairness, I think people have been very good, employers have been very good around it, and you, you've heard of people taking holidays as well. There's other ways around it. Yeah, so like other options that we go through with people as well would be, um, well, we could, we'd always say um, check the work from home option, what about altering shifts so that you could coordinate caring between you and a partner mm. or another caregiver, um, rearranging holidays or maybe allowing the employee to take paid time off that they could work back perhaps at a yeah. later time. Yeah, yeah, there are, there certainly are. And there's going to be a lot of cases like that with children, unfortunately, because they're not vaccinated. So they are the ones most likely uh, to come down with uh, COVID-19. OK, a lot of information covered uh, today, uh, George. Uh, well done to you. If people want more information... Um, yeah, so it would be best to telephone their local citizens information centre and we'll, as normal, we'd discuss their circumstances with them and make them aware of the various options. Um, and I suppose that's where citizens information can help. We always discuss and lay out the options and at the end of the day, it's the caller themselves will decide what's the best option for them. But hopefully with our help, they'll make a more informed decision. Um, if they'd like to contact us in our North or East Cork offices, the phone number is zero eight one eight zero seven seven nine seven zero for Fromoy, or if they want to contact Mallow, the number is zero eight one eight zero seven eight thousand, or the Citizens Information Service in West Cork is available on zero eight one eight zero seven eight three nine zero, and of course, if they want to have a look at our website first, that's just citizensinformation.ie. And there's a lot of good, useful information on there as well. Huge amount of information. We're, we're big fans of the citizensinformation.ie here, I can tell you. You answer more questions for, for our listeners on your website. Uh, listen, thanks a million uh, for that, uh, George. And uh, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, George Ford, who is the Information Officer with the South Munster Citizen Information Service, and he's based out of the Fromoy uh, office. As I say, go to the citizeninformation.ie. They have a mine of uh, information. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A listener wants to know, does anybody know when bingo is back in Kilbrin? Uh, and when does it start and what time does it start? Does anybody know, is bingo back in Kilbrin? I know a number of the bingos are back. I don't know if I remember reading and seeing on our community diary, is Kilbrin bingo back? If there's any of the organisers involved, you can let us know, please, because we've got a listener who obviously is desperate to get back to bingo and would like to go back to bingo in Kilbrin. Now, I've had a couple of interesting comments in about Bank of Ireland. Remember on Friday... We were bemoaning the fact of the closure of 88 branches of Bank of Ireland all over the country. It was announced back in March and it's to do with uh, Bank of Ireland saying their footfall is down, that people are just not using the branches anymore. And they took the decision back in March. They made the announcement that 88 of their branches were to close. And we were in particular talking about the branches that closed. And with great sadness, I think, people felt the branches that closed in the Cork uh, area and they closed last uh, Friday. Well, I've had a couple of interesting comments in. Firstly, an email in from Leem in Brough to say the closure of the 88 banks throughout Ireland by Bank of Ireland without a whimper denotes the death knell to the communities involved and the ongoing destruction of Irish society in those regions. The contempt shown to these communities by the centralised bank requires a full and detailed explanation from the Bank of Involved. It is ironic, says Arleem Imbruff, that the excuse given to some of these closures is the reduction of the population in the area. However, taking away the services is not going to increase the population of any area. It will only further decimate the region in question. The other excuse is that people should be more conversant with the internet. But most people in Ireland are only beginning to understand the internet and that only exacerbates the problem as they are forced into a new arrangement which is totally confusing to some people. I wonder what the government or bank regulator can do to ease the introduction of this programme to the regions of Ireland. But one thing is certain is you don't close the manual service for the very people who support you, yours and that's from Lehman Broth. That's a very well put together uh, email. Yeah and they did use, they did say the population was down but they also said the footfall was down but as many listeners pointed out on Friday the reason the footfall was down was they were encouraging people not not to come into the branches and they were encouraging everybody to do everything on online and when you know you, you make a valid point that not everyone is conversant uh, with the internet. There's also a cohort of people in rural Ireland who even if they wanted to be conversant with the internet they can't because they don't have adequate broadband so you've got that problem as well for, for many people and you're not alone Aleem. Many people bemoaned the fact that those banks closed. And then I had a great call in from Diane in Mill Street because Mill Street was one of the towns that lost their Bank of Ireland closed for the last time on Friday and she says an example of just this morning on the first day, first working day where the bank is closed of how the the bank branch closure affects a business. Diane said she had an issue with her bank card. So she contacted Bank of Ireland over the phone. Really, really nice man on the phone. Very helpful to her. Explained everything and then said to Diane, you now need to go in to your local branch and they'll sort out the final step. So that's all well and good. But 
Diane in Mill Street says, my local branch is now in McCroom. So I'm going to have to travel to McCroom to get the final bit sorted out with my card. So it does really show the impact of the blank bank closure. And God, it's come to your doorstep soon quite quickly hasn't it Diane who then also makes a further step she said she normally does her shopping at the weekend but she had her niece's communion so you know tied up nice little family affair and all of that so now she's got to get into the car and she's to drive to McCroom but she's still at the back of her mind says oh I have to do my big my full shop because I wasn't able to do it on Saturday and she said if I end up and she has to end up at the Bank of Ireland branch in McCroom she said will I end up now doing my shopping in McCroom as well so the town of Mill Street loses out just because the bank branch is closed whereas if her bank branch was still open today she could have popped down there sorted out what needed to be done and then gone about her business but now she's got to get into the car and drive to McCroom and you'll see a lot more people will be affected like that uh, as well. Thank you for your call uh, Diane 1850 I can see questions coming in for Annalise. Can you keep those coming in please? Then we've had a number of people commenting with our piece with Sarah Lennon from Sage Advocacy who advocate on behalf of older people and Sage are bringing up the fact that there is a problem in this country that we don't have enough home carers and even though care packages are being given by the HSC somebody then who tries to get a home care package discovers there isn't carers available in their area to do the number of hours that they'll need in order to be looked after at home and the danger now is that more older people will be forced into nursing homes when they could have stayed at home if they could have got the home uh, carers but there's just not enough. number of people commenting on that including one listener that says Hi Patricia I am a care assistant I've been looking for work as a care assistant but absolutely no joy I've looked after somebody for the last six months of that person's life I can do part time work but nobody wants to know about me which I'm really surprised because we're hearing that they're just there's work there but they can't get the people to do uh, the jobs somebody else says the HSC are paying the agencies the private agencies huge hourly rates for the home care for the home help carers carers receive very poor wages and conditions from these agencies and most times can wait up to six months to receive mileage reimbursement and more often than not it's not correct the H- uh, HSC and the agencies took on carers without experience during COVID Fetech level 5 is not good enough to train carers no backup support to carers through agencies when a complaint or patient's condition is observed and reported by the carer agencies can make between 22 and 33 euros gross per hour from the HSE. Money, I feel, that's badly spent. Uh, the agencies then pack the workload onto the carers just to get the caseload off their desks. The whole system needs replacement, according to somebody who I'm assuming you've got so much detail contained in that text you're somebody who has worked or has worked or do work within that industry. Well, it is one of the points that Sarah Lennon said. It does have to be looked at and it, if, it, if the whole system needs replacement, but it certainly needs to be worked at and paying conditions for carers in the private sector will have to be uh, dealt with. And Tim said Sarah's interview from Sage was interesting. 
My mother went downhill when she was put into a nursing home. She would, I feel, have had a few more years and be much happier if she'd been left at home. But other family members were influenced by outside experts. The care workers and more community nurses would be the best way of caring for the elderly. Also remember private nursing homes and, and private care agencies. It's the same as private preschools are all in it for profit and the workers are often the ones that are short-changed. That's from uh, Tim, who would like to have seen and reckons his mother would have lasted, would have lived longer if she had remained at home. Now, nobody can know that for sure, but that's Tim's feeling on it. 1850-333-103. And I also note in your text, Tim, the way you say other family members, and it's it's dreadful when families are faced with that, with the, when a decision has to be made about an, an elderly parent as to who's going to do the caring. Is there anybody available to do the caring? Can they get home care packages? Does the mother or father have to go into nursing home? It can divide families uh, for sure. Hope you're keeping well, Tim, and thank you for your uh, text. Still getting in some calls in about students and students going hungry and the fact that the food bank has had to be set up for uh, students. Are we, this is a Kinsale listener who obviously is not believing that students are going hungry. Are they going to be putting phone tokens and cigarette tokens into the food baskets for the students? Is this country for real, says a Kinsale listener. But somebody then speaking up on behalf of Apprentice. Apprentice went back to college last Monday week. They'll have to wait wait three weeks for payment why has this group always been discriminated against yeah and that could be a group they could be the very students that don't have the money to buy the food that could be going forward you don't you don't they, they're the ones that could be going forward to say that they need money from they need food items from that uh, food uh, bank uh, Mary says Patricia just to comment on the GoFundMe page which was set up to supply food for the students and the harsh harsh criticism on your comment line this morning. My view on it is give a donation if you feel it's the right thing to do and don't bother if you're critical of it. Don't judge. It's not a very Christian thing to criticise. People fall on hard times in all walks of life. It's nice to give a helping hand. Well done, uh, Mary. That's a good... A caring attitude to have for sure. Live and uh, let live. And you are right. People fall on hard times and nobody knows. It's like that, you know, that famous saying, walk a mile in my shoes. Nobody knows. And I know over the years, whenever I've done interviews with the wonderful organisation that is the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, and you'll hear people being critical saying, oh, I know of someone in my neighbourhood and I've seen local St. Vincent de Paul going in with, you know, food items or going in with money and I'm sure they have a big car outside and they have a fabulous house and all that. Nobody knows what's going on. You can have a fabulous house and a fabulous car that was all paid for before you fell on hard times. And I, Mary is right. We all need to be we all need to stop and think before we start to criticise because you never know. You absolutely never know what's going on behind uh, closed doors. Now we had a listener thank you Mary for that. We had a listener earlier who was waiting on X-ray results at Bantry Hospital, wasn't it? Well, another listener's been on from West Cork to say, I'm a parent living in West Cork. I'm waiting on blood test results from my son. The blood tests were done back in June. Now, were they done at a hospital or were they done at your doctor's? Because definitely most blood tests results... um, well, at a GP practice, certainly whenever I have my bloods done, the results are back within a week. I would be getting on to... I don't know the reason that your son needed blood tests. I'd be getting on to whoever 
called for those tests? Was it a consultant? Was it a GP? Was it a hospital? I certainly would be. That seems a very excessive period of time to be waiting. Now, I know we were living in a pandemic and I know in, early in June it would have been at the start of the cyber attack and all of that. And because of the cyber attack, you just would be afraid that, you know, results could have gone missing somewhere falling between the cracks I definitely wouldn't be waiting any longer I'd be picking up the phone today and making some calls to see if you can find out what is going on 1850 333 103 we're talking about the pensions and a pension increase of what's looking like 5 euro in the budget tomorrow a listener says I have to manage on £86 a week that is my English pension how about that? That's very different to what Irish pensioners get. Is that the standard rate in the UK? £86, which what comes out at a little over €100. Euro. Is that the standard old age pension in the UK? If it is, it's a very, very meagre amount indeed. 1850 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 with a reminder to get your questions in for Annalise, please. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The NCBI charity shop in Bantry, they're looking for volunteers to work with them a couple of hours per week, please. If you've got any spare time on your hands, can you call 087 348 4997? Kilomni's final run of the season is going to happen next Sunday. Registration will open at 11am at Kilomni Inn and return departs at 12 noon. The 20-year rule applies. So that's obviously the Kilomni vintage run. Doesn't quite say it in the piece in front of me. And the annual Fort to Fort cycle in aid of the Mercy Hospital Foundation in uh, Cork City and County Lions Club and Camden Fort Mar registration will take place on Saturday the 23rd of October. It starts from Camden Fort in Crosshaven with four routes to choose from. There's sure to be something for everyone. You can find out more information available by going on forttofort.ie Now let me catch up with some of your calls and comments in on the budget. John says I feel that the PRSI should be taken off everyone including the old age pensioners. So that's something that the Pension Commission has mentioned that people who have a private pension it has been suggested that we spread the burden across everyone who is receiving any kind of an income including pensioners John so you're not the first uh, to come up with that he also is against pensioners getting a five euro increase tomorrow he says if there's any extra money in the pot it should be given to young families young families are up to their eyeballs trying to pay their way at the moment many of them are paying mortgages if they're not paying mortgages they're certainly paying high uh, rents and when they have they have children and if there's childcare costs, it can be like having two mortgages every month coming out of the of the household budget. We need to start giving the young a break, says John. And older people are doing okay kind of thing. And if there's any extra money there, give it to the young people. I don't think older people will be agreeing with you on that one, John. But certainly any younger person who's struggling exactly what you're talking about, trying to pay a mortgage, trying to pay childcare costs, will 100% uh, agree with you. Hi, Patricia. The next time Micheál Martin or Leo Varadkar are getting a raise, they should be offered the same as what they are considering offering the elderly people tomorrow. It equates to two bars of chocolate. How dare they insult 
people like that, says a listener. We mentioned that the carbon tax is going to go be announced tomorrow and it'll be from midnight tomorrow night, you're guaranteed, which means petrol and diesel will go up at the pumps. A pensioner says the Green Party will rob people with this carbon tax. We'll all be finished. Not happy with that. And here's an interesting point. When I said earlier, when we were talking about the five euro increase for the pensioners and across all of the social welfare all of the different uh, social welfare payments people were saying when will they pay that out and I said well we have to remember that even though the budget gets announced tomorrow it is next year's uh, budget it's budget 2022 so certainly it wouldn't be introduced certainly not before January and in many cases we've known on previous budgets the increase isn't paid out until March somebody even remembers it not the increase not coming through until April. So you have many, many months uh, to wait for it. Somebody's making the point, if that is the case, Patricia, and if tomorrow's budget is actually next year's budget, why will petrol and diesel go up at midnight tomorrow night and the cigarettes as well? We're we're, we're talking about 50 cent on the price of a pack of cigarettes and that'll go up from midnight uh, as well. They can take it in, but they can't give it out. That's a good point and it's one that I've never heard or seen addressed before but you're right every, everything else gets cut off until the following year because it's next year's budget but how come when they want to take money from you they can bring it in and bring it in very uh, quickly. Ross says they've money for everyone but they don't seem to have money for those that are most in need. Ross doesn't specify who most in need uh, are. And hi Patricia, could you please send out a big round of applause to all the truckers in McCroom who raised so much money yesterday for Pieta House. A special effort was made by SOS Recovery who brought half of their fleet to the event. Now I don't know where that took place but it was a big fundraiser for Pieta House which is an incredible organisation and I can see why it was done yesterday because it was World Mental Health Day and there was a lot of focus on mental health and we know only too well the Pieta House has saved people's lives because of the work that they do so anything we can do to support Pieta House we're always only too glad uh, to give them a mention. And Margaret says Hi Patricia, did I hear correctly this morning on your news bulletins that most of the people in hospital with COVID are unvaccinated? Well, The figures that they're talking about in particular are the numbers of people that are in ICU and I know Paul Reid was out at the weekend, the head of the HSE, and he was talking about the, he was going through the figures and he was saying of the patients with the virus who were admitted to uh, ICU, 67% were unvaccinated. There was a further 3% who were partially vaccinated in that they had one uh, vaccine. So yes, yeah, so you, you, could, you could take it from that that 70% of the people who end up in ICU are unvaccinated. And I know the last time I looked in to the vaccinated people that end up in ICU in the main, the majority of them all had underlying health conditions and it was a breakthrough. We know that even when you're vaccinated you can still pick up COVID-19 and it's one of the reasons why we need more and more people to be vaccinated because remember we vaccinate to protect ourselves but we also vaccinate to protect others because if you're not vaccinated and then you're walking around with COVID-19 you could pass it on to somebody who, who okay may be vaccinated but that person may have an underlying health condition. Their immunity may be starting to wane. We know the boosters are already starting for people in at-risk groups but the worry is that we'll see more and more of that as 
as if if enough people don't get vaccinated. Now we're doing we are doing really well in this country when it comes to uh, to vaccines. But Paul Reid from the HSE is just a bit bothered about the unvaccinated because, for example, there was a twenty percent increase in the number of hospitalisations and ICU admissions last week. And with the majority of those people ending up in ICU, you take it the majority that are ending up in hospital, they they are unvaccinated. So he, you know, urgently put out the call again to people who, for whatever reason, have decided not to get vaccinated to please come forward and start getting vaccinated because we're seeing too many people in hospital with COVID-19 of the unvaccinated and too many of them ending up in ICU. And of course, the knock on of that is then it affects everybody else. People waiting on an ICU bed, you know, operations have to be delayed because they can't do an operation because they know they need to have an ICU bed available or high high dependency bed uh, available. So Paul Reid was out at the weekend saying really putting out a strong call to people who are not not vaccinated to please, please go out and get the jab. And he said you're at higher risk of hospitalisation and of uh, transmission if you haven't been vaccinated. And I saw a piece that came out from the UK where they're talking about the flu jab and we know the flu jab is is now up and running here. Most of the, I'm assuming all the GP practices now are giving out the flu jab. I mean, certainly the pharmacies I'm booked in, the three of us, myself, Hobby and Marcia, we're getting our flu jab next uh, Saturday. We go to our local chemist uh, to get it in such an easy procedure, booked in, in and out, and the three of us will get it together. But it's so important for people to get the flu jab this year, particularly people who are not vaccinated, because the, this, the figures coming from the UK, where they don't have a high a vaccine rate for COVID-19 as we have here you're at a much higher rate if you get COVID and flu together you're at a much higher rate of ending up in ICU and unfortunately you're at a much higher rate of dying if you get COVID and flu at the same time and there is a big big concern about the flu this year because we didn't have any flu last year so please if you get offered the flu vaccine please go out and uh, get it 1850-333-103 so yes Mark why did I go off into that rant you are right uh, the, there, there are more people ending up in ICU that are unvaccinated and a really good email into the programme today from Ready in West Cork and this is to do with their housing crisis at the moment this makes when I was when I read this email I, you know, every time and again you get an email and you stop and you think about it I say, God, yeah, that actually does make a lot of sense and it says Patricia while acknowledging the dire situation so many families find themselves in as a result of the MICA pyrite saga surely they must wait in line with all those families and individuals who have waited long years in the purgatory that is the housing waiting list. Remember the pyrite problem relates only to home bills either by direct labour or from a private building contract. The defect therefore is properly probably a matter of contract law and should not be the responsibility of the state and by extension all of us. Realistically however the state has stepped in and this is probably correct but if the state is to keep faith with all people then those on housing lists must be made an equal priority. Local TDs in the areas most affected openly support these victims of the private construction industry to the detriment of those awaiting housing from a system which has never been adequately funded or managed. It is time for all TDs with constituents 
waiting on a housing list by the state to take a stance and ensure that these, together with the MICA group and the Pyrite group, that they be given equal priority and housing of an equal standard, which is a, a, a point I hadn't thought about. I mean, anything I've watched or seen Firstly, with the pyrite, and now with the mica stories. I know the mica stories are mainly sort of up the north and Donegal, and it's the northern half of the country is most affected. But I mean, you couldn't help but have sympathy for people who built these beautiful, beautiful bungalows and dormer bungalows and houses and, and whatever, and just literally watch them crumbling away. And the state, you know, they're looking for a hundred percent redress, and the argument is going on between the pyrite, between the mica families and the government over the hundred percent. But Reddy, I think, makes an interesting point. If all the money is given for the 100% and everybody who has a house affected by Mike, by MICA, if they all get brand new houses replacing exactly the house that they were living living in, does that mean, and of course it does mean, because we don't have a bottomless pit, we don't have a tree that's growing money. There's no money tree, unfortunately, that the government uh, have. So that therefore will mean that there will be less money available to build houses for people, as Reddy rightly says, have been lost in the purgatory that is the housing uh, waiting list. So it's, yeah, it's, it is a really, really good point. I don't know what the right and the wrong of it is. You know, I'm not here saying... And and I don't think you're here saying either that the people whose houses have been affected by MICA, that they should just be left. We need to come up with some kind of a solution where they'll get their houses uh, sorted out. But at the same time, we'll have a proper housing programme and a proper building of houses so the people on the housing waiting lists can finally be rehomed. Now, I know I did mention that it is expected tomorrow that there's going to be a big raft of money in the budget that's going to go into Darrow O'Brien for the housing for all. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But of course, how long is it going to take to build those houses? This is the Court Today replay on C103.
talking about the numbers who have ended up in ICU uh, for with COVID, the majority of them, nearly 70% are not uh, vaccinated. Somebody's saying, do they ever give out what vaccines were involved in the numbers who are presenting with the breakthrough cases? And no, they've never given out that information and I don't know if they ever uh, will. And then on banks and the fact we were talking about all the Bank of Ireland branches closing last Friday and the problems it's causing. Tom says, Patricia, Ulster Bank are closing soon completely, not just 88 branches. They're pulling out completely. I now have to find a new bank. The problem is the new bank will want identification, which is usually a driver's licence or a passport, both of which have lapsed years ago in my case. Now, it's not compulsory to have a passport or a driver's licence, but a social services card is a government issued card, but they w- that it will not be accepted in the bank. I'm going to have a problem, says Tom, when I go to open, try and open up a new bank account. I can never understand why the social services card, which has a photograph on it, I can never understand why a bank won't accept that as a means of identification. I'm, I'm still, I can never get my head around that one. And then another listener on banks saying, I'm with permanent TSB and we have a machine only bank now in McCroom. Our nearest human contact banks are the one on Patrick Street in the city or the one in Mallow. I have three teenagers. They were always looking for money for cash, for grinds, for fundraisers, etc. But what do you do when you'll only get 50 euro notes out from the machine? I end up having to take out large sums of money, then trying to break it down into five tens and twenties. I end up now paying for my shopping and fuel in fifties, trying to get back as many smaller denomination notes as I can in my change. Surely that's very unfair on smaller businesses because it's obviously putting pressure on them. Another downside to a bank having nobody physically in there where you could go to the counter, withdraw money and say, could I have those in tenors and fivers? Yeah. Um, thank you for that. 1850 Now, last week, we spoke about the fact that all four Cork East TDs held an urgent meeting with the Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People, Mary Butler, along with representatives of the HSE. And it was to discuss the proposed closure of Onakura Centre. Now, Pat Buckley from Cork East, Sinn Féin, Cork East TD, spoke to us and filled us in on what happened at that meeting. But he's back on the line again. Uh, good afternoon to you, Pat. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, and you, I'm, I'm very well. I'm, I'm told, are you actually at the centre today? I am actually at the centre okay. today just to see was there any progress or information or contact from the HSC. And um, has there been? And, no, they're just at limbo, absolute limbo. The patients are frightened that the October 31st date has been pushed out, but we don't know where it's been pushed to. It's causing a lot of stress. Um, so, you know, it's just trying to get the feel of it. And as the day goes on, we're getting a bit more angry that, you know, we've been blanked. And as I said, we spoke about that meeting last week. Um, it was just flat. It was just a, in my opinion, it was shocking. No clarity, no answers again. Uh, so now it's seat on the street. Next Saturday, the 16th, we'll be assembling here in Middleton at half one outside the courthouse to try to wear a more awareness about this. So you're going to have a protest? Absolutely. Okay, and you want to get the message out because you want this isn't just for the residents and their families. Oh, absolutely not. This is, you know, this will be detrimental to the whole East Cork area and especially down this side of East Cork where it's the only mental health, you know, facility but also the respite service, short respite and everything that goes with it. I mean, once this is gone, it's gone. And I'm, I'm, I'm just here for that, you know, the amount of families and stress that's been putting on families here. We have a lot of patients there in their 50s and 
60s, their parents are still alive. And they feel helpless at the moment, Patricia, because they are not getting any information either. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of uh, the people in Onakura yesterday and their families because yesterday, you know, there was a lot of fanfare and rightly so that it was World Mental Health Day. Yep. And, and you know, there was and everywhere you turned, no matter what media you'd on yesterday and if you bought papers yesterday, you would have seen, you know, people talking about mental health. And, and so fantastic that we can now openly speak about mental health and you know, that there's no stigma. We're, we're moving away from the day where there was stigma. And when people come forward to say, I need help, you need that help on your doorstep, Pat, don't you? Oh, you're, you're spot on, Patricia, and you're right. I mean, thankfully, it's been, the stigma is starting to wear off at certain sectors, obviously it's not. But no, you're spot on. Um, it's, you, nobody knows when they're going to need it. And we all, you know, we, we all deal with life pressures differently because we're all individuals. But when you're trying to access the service and it's not there, it can be so deflating. And, you know, I, I spoke with the Samaritans last week and I spoke of one volunteer who's there nearly 30 years. And he said like that he could be the very last person that listens somebody die at the other end of a phone. That's how serious it is in this country. And if we're not going to invest in mental health services, now we'll be watching the budget carefully tomorrow on this. But try not to fix something that isn't broken. If they're on about a building, let's rebuild it or renovate it. We still haven't got the figures for that. Now, I will say, though, very interesting fire safety report that was done back in 2016 gave all these recommendations. It was a cost of, I think, just under a quarter of a million. Now, that was back in 2016. They were taught about this, the HSE. And nothing was done. Nothing. And that's the problem here. They never invested in the property. There's been neglect. that was the patients. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was just a rehash report with a front page put back on it. But all the recommendations were gone back as far as 2016, costed and everything for these repairs. And it was ignored. And you can't say it's not. You're, you've, you're in the building. You've seen the building. Is it, is, yes. it, is it very, is it in desperate repair, is it? No, no, it's not. It's not. Now, the building, the outside of the building, yes, it's old looking and stuff. It's here from the 70s. Um, Yes, some of the wiring might have to be done. You know, it, it's an upgrade more than anything else. It's, you, you, reckon um, it's, yeah, yeah, okay. you reckon it's fixable? It's either fixable. Yeah, it's fixable. Or you can rebuild it. Mm. I mean, we can see where you can render stuff from the outside and make more walls, more insulated stuff. Yes, if it needs rewiring. So, so be it, it needs rewiring. The ligatures are actually hinges. So it's to change the hinges. A boiler. Um, yes, maybe one or two extra rooms. There is space. They can't say there isn't space here. It's a big, big site. Where I'm standing outside the centre at the moment now, I could tell you you could build a fine, fine extension on one part of the land here already, just straight across from our community hospital. So I don't. Yeah. I think it's the will is not there, Patricia. And, and we go back to, and I know I mentioned this last week to you, and every time we talk about it, we, the, nobody has ever done a costing on the building to say definitively, this is how much it would cost to either refurb or build. There's, there's yes, no such report there. Nothing, nothing no. coming back yet, Patricia, and I've asked about it again last week and still nothing. So, well, fingers crossed, I think it may be going into the Public Accounts Committee and I think it's coming back into the Mental Health Subcommittee as well next week after the budget. So, hopefully we'll make it more clarity on it. But I just, I just don't... It doesn't seem to be a will to look at an alternative. The HSE seem to be deemed that they just want to close it. 
um, information is, is very, very, very low. And they're not looking at an alternative. And the alternative we said was either renovate or rebuild, but keep the services here. And that's what the residents want and that's what their families want. Absolutely. Okay, all right. So this this Saturday, half past one? Half past one outside the courthouse in Middleton. We're oh. encouraging everybody to come out and show their support because once this is gone, it's gone. Yeah. And the other uh, obvious question, if it does, and the HSE will say when it does close, does anybody know what's going to happen to the building and the site? I've asked, I've asked all those questions. Patricia, I asked who owns the HSE to own the site. Yeah. But uh, you're, you're only getting the, the watered-down reply. Uh, we look at that in the future. Our priority at the moment is patience. That's the excuse of everything. It'll so, end up becoming a derelict building. That would be my fear. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And God forbid that somebody vandalised or set it on fire. And then we'll be going back to say, we hate to say we told you so, but we told you so. Okay, listen, keep us informed. But next will, Saturday, anybody in the East Cork uh, area uh, encouraged uh, if they want to go along to that protest. Listen, Pat, thank you for that. And thanks uh, for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, bye-bye. That is... Cork East Doll Deputy Pat Buckley, 1850-333-103. A couple of people commenting on the email that I had in from Reggie in West Cork, who's talking about why is the taxpayer and the government funding the replacement, 100% replacement for the MICA houses and what's happened to those poor people with their houses crumbling down in front of them. John says, sure isn't it grand? You build a house, you live in it for 10 years and then it starts to fall down and guess what? The government will buy you, uh, will build you a brand new one 10 years years later isn't it a grand country says John who I'm assuming is with Ready and feels the government shouldn't be the ones responsible for it Nancy and Bantry says I can't see how the government is responsible on this one surely it should be the builders and the suppliers not the ordinary person on the street are the government why are the government bailing them out at the end of the day it's taxpayers money so you and I says Nancy and Bantry are the ones that will pay for their, their new houses and John in Mitchellstown says why is it coming back to the state why not go after the company that produced the material they've caused the problems why are they looking for 100% redress I know their houses are destroyed it's not the state's responsibility when they weren't involved in building it okay so a number of people taking that particular line saying why should the state be responsible Councillor Declan Hurley what's happening to 0862 103 103 this is on the Bank of Ireland closures that we mentioned on Friday and has come up again on the programme uh, today Declan said it's going to have a huge negative economic impact on rural towns like Dunmanway when their bank branch closed last Friday. Communities work tirelessly at keeping people local and trying to attract visitors. How can communities survive when a bank closes its doors? What kind of a signal is that sending out and where's the loyalty? How right you are, uh, Declan. I think summed up by the listener from Mill Street who was saying she's ended up having to go to McCroom and she said what'll possibly happen is I'll end up doing my shopping there. So there is a knock-on effect to local businesses as well. If you're forcing people to go to a neighbouring town to do something, you get to the neighbouring town, I might as well do whatever else I need to do at the same time. It is all about trying to keep people local for sure. Thank you for that. That's Councillor Declan Hurley. OK, that's where I leave you for today. Uh, once again, our apologies that Annalise wasn't available to us. She got called away urgently. She will be back with us though next week. Thanks to John Paul, who produced Nick Richards, is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.